Hi there, it's Daniel. I just wanted to set the table for our first bonus episode of A Positive Jam, Season 2. We're talking with Father Christian Rabb, a priest with a musical background, Midwest roots, and a budding love for the Hold Steady. Given how Catholic this album is, as you know based on our discussion so far, we thought a more learned background would add a lot of value to what we're doing here. It's a really fun discussion, and I hope you enjoy. This is one of two bonus episodes we're doing for this season. If you have any suggestions, ideas, requests, proposals, or whatever for next season, let us know. We're going to take a break after this season and don't yet know where we go next. But we're super grateful for the podcast having grown an audience and reach this season and for all the support you've given us, and we'd love to hear from you. It could be more Hold Steady, it could be someone else or something else, Just let us know what you have in mind. Okay, here's our episode with Father Christian, which we found mind-blowing. We hope you will as well. Listeners, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to what is our first bonus episode of A Positive Jam I'm Sean Westfall. Joining me, as always, Mike Taylor. Mike, say hi. Hi. And uh, Dan Schwartzman. Dan, of course, you know what to do. Say hi. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> and we're joined this this episode by a very special guest, Father Christian Rab. And Father Christian is a seminarian. Do I have that right as well? Uh, no, I teach in a seminary. I apologize. He's an instructor uh, at St. Meinrad, which is in southern Indiana, which is my old stomping grounds. I have a, a, some distant relatives who live in Crawford County, which is on the Ohio River, which is one county over from where Father Christian teaches at St. Meinrad. And Father Christian is going to, he's going to steer this Catholic ship. He's going to uh, <laughs> elucidate us, not only us, but our, you guys, you listeners, as to Catholicism and how it influences or shades our everyone's favorite band, our favorite band, the reason for this podcast existing, The Hold Steady. So uh, let me just flesh out Father Christian's bio. He is a theologian, a monk, a priest, and he used to play bands in what he designates a former life. He has published an article on the biblical vision of Leonard Cohen. I can't think of anyone better to publish a, a, an article about the b- biblical vision of Leonard Cohen. And you're currently working on a book. And again, as he said, just said before the podcast started, there's momentum around it. He doesn't know if he can sustain it, but he hopes to, and we do as well, on orthodoxy and rock music. So we're very, very happy to have you, Father Christian. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. And if I missed anything or 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 made any mistakes in your bio, please That's uh, correct perfect. me. Perfect job. Cool. Thank you. So I, I guess I'll start with, and I think you were you were sort of briefly talking about this prior to our starting the recording. Tell us how you got into the hold steady. And, and 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 go ahead and go first. You know, go into your your, your life prior to joining the priesthood, and uh, and how you got into this amazing band. Yeah. So before I joined the monastery, uh, the ben- I joined the Benedictine monastery in two thousand three. Before that, I, I played in bands in in college, at Indiana University, and then in Chicago, and did some singer songwriter stuff. Also, was teaching as kind of my day job, and eventually quit my day job, worked at Starbucks, and played music. And then finally landed, joined a monastery in 03, and then went to seminary, was ordained a priest, and then went and got my doctorate in theology so that I could become a theology instructor uh, at the seminary level. Now, 
last year we all went into quarantine and I didn't really know anything about the hold steady before a year ago. And so it's kind of new to me. Um, but as uh, Sean mentioned, I I'd started working on this book on theology and orthodoxy, and it's, it's envisioned as a, a multi-author project. And we've invited different theologians to contribute. But as we were talking about bands that we really needed to maybe consider including as one of our topics, one of the, one of the guy, one of the people mentioned uh, the hold steady as a, as a possibility. And so I, was, I said, I'd never heard of them. And he said, I got to check it out. So uh, as it turned out, you know, I, I had, I had just gotten Spotify too, for the first time in my life. So uh, <laughs> quarantine, Spotify, a new book project. I just started kind of binging the hold steady that started about a year ago. And I've been enjoying it a lot. I, it turned out, you know, that what a great discovery there. They are really, really interesting band. And so I love it. I mean, I don't just love it because of the Catholic part, which is there is a kind of theme. I mean, I also love it sort of the whole cultural world that, that Craig Finn builds, which is, is kind of about being growing up Generation X in the upper Midwest, something that I can very much relate to. So I feel a lot of kind of kinship with the themes of the music. And, and then I guess that's lyrically, but musically, right? I mean, just the musical echoes of of sort of classic rock and i would say pre-nirvana alternative rock those are some sweet spots for me so i am liking the, liking the band a lot well that makes me have to ask so what instrument did you play when you were in bands and uh what genre what did you do i played rhythm guitar and nice. i was i wrote i wrote i was the lyricist and singer so that that was my role and and so that that that's why i so I, I was in a band in college. That was the most serious band I was in. And then after college, I was more of a kind of a singer songwriter who uh, occasionally had accompanying, you know, support musicians with me. Right. And, and like the, the, the genre, was it like, was there a rock band? Like, what was yeah, it? A so, I mean, grunge my, my band was in college it? was more like, I would say like the punk side of alternative. So more like, or punk side of grunge, like Nirvana, not not the Yardlers, right? Not not Pearl Jam or uh, <laughs> Alice in Chains, but more the, the the punk side of grunge. So uh, Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, Screaming Trees, like that kind of thing. I mean, this, nice. was, this was the mid nineties, right? Right. But then right, after right. that, I was more doing like Leonard Cohen, Ron Sexsmith, that kind of singer songwriter kind of thing. Very cool. Very cool. So, so I mean, you, you've you've kind of downplayed your musical chops. You've got a lot of musical chops. You should well, you should I be. You, you, I, what I have is a lot of musical experience. I don't know if yeah. I have musical chops. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. If, if let's say I'm I'm a I'm a novice to the hold steady, and well, no. Let, let's say I was interested in how the hold steady's lyrics or Craig Finn's world building. I'm interested in the relationship between that and Catholicism. Where would you start? Where would you, let's say wow. I, was, I was interested. Let's say I wanted to write my my master's thesis on that. Uh, yeah. What songs would you direct me to, or what aspects of? It's a really open ended question. I'm just saying. I'm just asking yeah. the hold forth. Yeah. Right. So I don't know how well I'm going to do answering the question, and and I would like this to be a discussion too. So I mean, I don't want to just be the sage on the stage here because you guys actually know more about the band than I do, but. My sort of take would be, from what I can tell, 
the the two albums that really just seem really chock full of this is is Separation Sunday and and Thrashing Through the Passion. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe maybe some of the other ones too that I I just haven't listened to as much, but I just I hear it a lot. And obviously, I've been thinking about Separation Sunday a ton uh, with you guys because I've been listening to the podcast. So that one's more in my consciousness. Yeah. So I mean, I think that album, this album that you guys are focusing on. This is a great if you're going to be doing every album, this is this is a great album to start asking these questions on, because it's all I think a lot of it's there. I mean, I. I think it's really fascinating. I mean, I don't know. You guys have a lot to say about this, but it's like, the you know, the album Separation Sunday, it's. There are these characters and it's it's telling a story, but I can't always figure out exactly what that story is about. So it's there's there's some vagities you know it's it's not like a very linear thing but thematically i think when i when i hear it i have to kind of go part to whole with it just because i think when you do that you pick up more but you know when you when just in a take a song like the opening track hornets hornets i mean you could kind of think of it as a beginning in a in a time of innocence and and you guys brought out the fact that like Hornets Hornets was a high school mascot. And so, you know, I think for high school can sort of allude to this notion of innocence for people, but it's also like a time of experimenting and testing boundaries. And so you have this kind of, you know, maybe this kind yeah. of Eden context. And I would say if, if Holly, and I don't know if Holly's like the narrator of this song, but <laughs> trust, get, trust me, we, we, we spent like, Numerous episodes trying to figure out who the narrator to figure is. Out who's we're, talking we're, we're never yeah. going to get that answer. So, <laughs> I mean, but you you get this line really early, right? Always remember never to trust me. And I I kind of hear in that this, you know, if we have an allusion here to Eden, maybe, then you're starting out with one of one of the partners in this primordial covenant is not trustworthy. And later on, I think is it Stevie Nicks? We get the line, I love the the guys you can't trust. And I, I think to me, like you can make an argument that Stevie Nicks is kind of a, an image of the Holy Spirit because of the white swan and the white dove. And Ooh, so, so you, have nice. the, you have the God, the divine, sort of loving the ones that can't be trusted. Who can't be trusted? Humanity. Holly. So Holly is sort of there. She's innocent. She's loved. But she knows she can't be trusted. And her partner in this relationship knows she can't be trusted. and what what's kind of at stake for Holly is she's got this big mystical hunger and I would call it a mystical hunger. It's kind of Augustine's notion that our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And, Mm -hmm. and Holly is got this very big hunger for transcendence. She wants to transcend. So she wants to connect to things that are bigger than herself and beyond herself. And the drama really of this whole story, I think is, is her heart going to rest in God or is it going to rest in something else? Is she going to transcend through by finding the sacred or is she going to transcend through hedonism? And so that's kind of the tension that she's facing. And Graham Greene has this, Graham Greene's a mid 20th century Catholic author who wrote End of the Affair, Power and the Glory, some big right. novel. He has this quote, Catholics are, Catholics are always in love and always in getting in trouble. Um, <laughs> Catholics are always in love and always getting in trouble. And that's, 
I think like that's a great lens to kind of see what's going on. She's she has like this mystical hunger, this this human erotic desire for transcendence. But where's it going to take her? You know, then you get the line in Hornets Hornets like she's experimenting. I've never really done that much of this. And I have to really try so hard not to fall in love. I have to concentrate when we kiss. So she's kind of, I don't know, like I hear it as she's kind of like coming up against this tension between where is her mystical hunger going to lead her? And she knows that it could kind of take her right off the cliff. And then, I mean, you get the allusion that later in that song to running up the hill. And, you know, the parenthetical title of that song is a deal, deal with, with God. God. Deal right. with God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, like, to me, I think that whole song kind of like starts you out kind of in the covenant of Eden. That's how, kind of how I hear it. The deal with God, the agreement with God, and yet sort of the human propensity to look for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> and, uh, and so, she ends up kind of going into the scene. To, uh, she likes the crowds at the really big shows, people touching people they don't even know. She's going out to the scene, which is an awesome thing. And, a, and in a way, it's like a beautiful thing. And it's, it's the ambivalence, I think, of created goods. Sometimes yeah. they're wonderful and awesome. Sometimes they get us in trouble. And Holly's in love, but you're going to get in trouble. So... I kind of like start with that one. I was just thinking about what you said. And then the third line she says in the song is, I'm going to have to go with whoever's going to get me the highest. Yes. And there are, and there are two senses of that, right? There's the, the someone who's going to get her like stoned or right yes. or who's going to go you know allow her to seek who's redemption precisely right and uh, i think it was last episode or a couple episodes ago mike brought up the bernini statue of, of uh saint Teresa, and that's such a <laughs> Wait, just I just have to interject here that it's unnerved by the fact that a priest has been listening to me talk about. This. <laughs> no, 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 no. I didn't know that that was happening. Yeah, as you said this out of the world. Uh, I, and, uh, we don't want that. <laughs> we can take it offline for some of the other stuff, but yeah, <laughs> uh, the, the Bernini statue of Saint Teresa, perfect example of the question of mystical hunger. You know, in the way that that our, the human erotic dimension is in fact like a substrate upon which spiritual longing is based. And so it's actually, it's like we have this kind of natural inclination for transcendence and we, we can find it met in natural ways, but all those natural ways are always going to, are kind of like intermediate. They're intermediate ends. And I think the notion of St. Teresa is like, that's the real fulfillment. So she's like experiencing the mystical ecstasy. She's really found the true home for her heart. But that doesn't end all the ambivalence for the characters by any means. Right. <laughs> or, the, or the going back and forth between these two worlds. And that, I think that's kind of a, that's a sort of a Catholic, that's a real Catholic idea here in the whole study. Yeah. It's like, I think if you kind of were, were in a Protestant kind of worldview, 
not all Protestants, but many would have sort of a, a kind of a non-scalar notion of being born again. Like you're born again and then it's over. Like you're done. You blessed assurance, you're saved, period. And there's no going back, line in the sand. It's impossible to go back. If you find that you went back, it means you were never on the right side of the line to begin with. That's, that's kind of like not usually the Catholic imagination. The Catholic imagination is more a kind of ongoing tension. <laughs> so long as we're on this side of heaven, there's going to be this very often this kind of misstepping and, and love and hate, songs of love and hate, like to quote Leonard Cohen. Uh, right. Direct, directed at God. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, that, well, a lot of what you just said really resonates with me. I do think, I do feel very much that the notion of a sort of continual incompleteness of, of your path is something that seems to come up a lot. I haven't been in a church in a while, but the last time I was in one it, and on a regular basis, that was definitely you know, the priests would keep continually hammer home this idea that, you know, that there is no such thing as sort of achieving it. It's, it's more that you're sort of in a constant pursuit of it. The other thing that really jumped out that you just said, Father, was the idea of the root of our desire, the root of our behavior is, is in a spiritual longing, because I think that that's a really important philosophical anchor on which, to, to which you, you sort of can, can tether a bunch of different things from there. And, and if you, if you don't accept that as kind of the truth, I'm just remembering like around the time this music came out, I was getting into partying and experimenting a lot more. And one of the ideas that we were playing around with was the idea that your consciousness is a mechanical device that you can put certain substances into. It'll just change who you are and you'll just, you're not an immutable being you can actually just alter your entire experience of the world and therefore who you are through external things. So when you mentioned the idea of, of it being a wrong path to take, that you that's sort of contradictory to this idea of everything being actually a manifestation of a spiritual desire. I think that's a really important and powerful idea that guides us through the album and also is just a really important sort of building block on which you you can sort of build a bunch of other things, yeah. either to understand this album or just to like understand life. So yeah. that really connected with me. Yeah, cool. Augustine, yeah, I think Augustine's thing about, you know, our hearts are restless till they rest in God. I, I just, I hear that a lot. Uh, this, this album feels very Augustinian in many ways. You know, I, I just, that doesn't surprise me because Augustine so, so, is... So, so, so you, you think that Holly and this crew are trying to get to the city of God? Is that what you're saying? Well, in some sense, yes. In some sense, yes, I think so. But the the other side of this, and I think you have to look at the other tracks, and maybe you no, have to wait. No, we're only looking at one. That's all. <laughs> maybe you have to wait till side two, right? Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so forgive my like way of phrasing this, but but it's like the, the the very classical way of talking about is is man in search of God versus God in search of man. So sorry for the non-gender inclusive way of speaking, but man in search of God and then God in search of man. What you have, I think, what we've been talking about is man in search of God, or we could say the soul in search of God, the, the person in search of God. The side two, in a way, is God in search of the person, of the soul. Uh, hmm. So you, you get the other side, right? So you have starting the, I mean, the, 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 I don't know if it's actually side two. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's before that. 
Oh, no, no, keep going with that, Father. That's crazy. The yeah. first big clue to this Each have made exploding head gestures. Yeah. The first big clue to this is banging camp, where I think there's a huge illusion going on to Evelyn Waugh's Brideshead Revisited. Another great Catholic author. Yeah. yeah. So Holly wore a string around her finger. That novel, Brideshead Revisited, is in two parts. And the first part is Man in Search of God, or the Soul in Search of God. The second part, in a sense, is God in Search of the Person. And the way that that second part, the second part is called a twitch upon a thread. And one of the characters, Cordelia, she's actually quoting Chesterton, G.K. Chesterton, but she explains that we've all had a string tied around our finger by God in baptism to a sense say that we belong to him. But the string is really, really, really long. And we can wander very, 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 very far. And God allows us in God's providence to, to wander far. But then the twitch upon the thread, in a sense, is, is when God pulls us back, he nudges us back, he reminds us of his presence, he, remind, he alerts us of his existence through his pull on the thread. And so when Banging Camp starts with that Hollywood string around her finger, it just kind of immediately made me think about that. And I can't remember where else, maybe it's in Hood Rat, where we hear about the tattoo, the tattoo of Jesus. And like one of the ways church fathers, I hope I don't have this wrong because I'm not an expert on the church fathers, but the church fathers would, I think, compare baptism to like getting a tattoo because it was a permanent mark on you. Mm -hmm. And it was a permanent mark that, in a sense, claimed you for God. So Holly, even though she's sort of gone far with her string, she still has the tattoo. She still has the string. And she's sort of going to get into like a real kind of existential nadir uh, and some really, really dark places. Mm -hmm. But I think that like the second part of the album, at least, and there are clues to it, is is this idea that she's like going to be God is going to come in search of her just as much that she has kind of been in search of something. She's in search of something. Now uh, the string is going to be pulled. God's going to go after her. And I think like Stevie Nicks, then maybe, I mean, I, I don't want to be too allegorical with the read of the album. Oh my um, goodness, but, please. <laughs> but I think Stevie Nicks, you know, the white swan, the white dove, the dove appears at the end of the flood and sort of is the sign that the, that the flood is over. There's hope. There's hope of salvation. There's hope of finding safe and dry land again. So I think Stevie Nicks kind of starts side two, maybe. And that's telling us that God, in a sense, is, is not, has not let go of Holly, even if Holly has maybe lost sight of God. And so I think Stevie Nicks is like, I don't know, you know, she's, she's sort of there to, I could go back and forth with her. I mean, I thought maybe is she a bad figure? Is she a good figure? I think I decided she was a good figure. It was hard for me not to hear of her and think of like the angel figures that you used to see at Grateful Dead shows, helping people who were sick on drugs. And so Stevie's like this kind of Holy Spirit symbol of God being in pursuit. So in other words, Holly, it's not just that God is, Holly's in search of God or transcendence it goes the other way 
the right. hounds of heaven have gone after in pursuit of her. And then it's right at Stevie Nicks who says, or maybe it's Stevie Nicks, I love the guys you can't trust. So in other words, even though <laughs> Holly breaks, separates herself out, she's going to be pursued by, by the Holy Spirit figure. And of course, I don't know, Stevie Nicks, maybe too, it's like kind of illusions of Beatrice bringing, right. you know, Dante from Purgatorio to Paradiso. Right, right. But before I stop with this, then at the end of Stevie Nicks, right, you get the parallelism between 17 and 33. And which one is it going to be? 17, a kind of eternal adolescence where you're pursuing this kind of false transcendence. Or 33, 33 is a hugely important number in Christianity. Right. It's, it's three persons of the Trinity back to back. 33 is the traditional age at which Christ died. Most importantly, I think 33 is considered by Thomas Aquinas as the perfect age, and therefore the age at which we all would be in heaven, because it's 33 means you've reached the fullness of maturity before the onset of decay. So it's like the eschatological number. It's the, it's the number of perfection, the number of the beatific vision. Um, so the, I think what you're kind of seeing there is like, it's the choice. Do you want right. the transcendence? Do you want the false transcendence or do you want the true transcendence? And maybe we want both. Maybe Craig Finn wants both. I don't know. I think it's part of the human condition to kind of want both. But this is, this is like the question, I think, is which one are you going to be? 17 or 33? Lord, to be 17 forever. And she got confused about the truth and she came to in a confession. She got high for the last time in the camps down by the banks of the river. Lord, to be 33 forever. So you touch on something else, too. You, you mentioned Stevie Nixon. You mentioned Kate Bush. This album is haunted by female mystical oh, yeah. creatures, characters, of which Holly is, is obviously one. And I'm definitely not Catholic, and I don't, I'm not schooled in the, in, the, in the scholastic tradition of Catholicism. Do these same sort of analogs pop up in Catholic uh, catechism? Like the, the idea of kind of the female mystic guy right is that is that what you're asking yeah or or it's or something close to that or am i missing something yeah i think um certainly in, in the literature with dante you know that that would be a the, the classic beatrice and probably it's it's a kind of a type the feminine type of i mean the church is usually kind of portrayed as feminine and and the church the church could be the guide right that leads you but the church is also like, you know, kind of broken and wounded in its members. And so the church also kind of certainly its members are in need of salvation. So it kind of works both ways. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, in terms of other kind of, you know, feminine symbols of, I mean, wisdom, Sophia in Greek, and there's a whole book of the Catholic Bible, uh, the book of wisdom. So certainly that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I suppose I hadn't really looked for that trope quite the way I think you're asking for it, but it's definitely out there. And probably one of my friends who is going to listen to this podcast is going to 
hear this part and say, why don't you mention this, 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 and this? So, <laughs> no, we, 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 we have close listeners too, who, who are quick to correct us on yeah. back. If we didn't have, if we didn't have that risk or inevitability, then this podcast wouldn't yeah, exist. Right, right, this right. podcast <laughs> is primarily about mentioning things that may not actually <laughs> connect with the source material. Right. I, that's, that's, that's our whole proceed based upon half, half a fact we we spent 10 exactly. minutes on the movie billy jack so please oh yeah we're all about dragging stuff yeah. out of that may not actually have any value whatsoever or any basis whatsoever in the lyrics but jumping out from that i um you mentioned Christian, that the that the that the album sort of eludes a little bit a straightforward reading what that made me think immediately was the Bible often eludes a straightforward yeah. reading. I don't know if in exactly the same way, and I it's, it's risky perhaps to say that to a no. priest, but I did want to sort of bounce that idea oh, off great. of you, this idea that the, the, there may even be a kind of fragmentary nature to texts that try and get at these these yeah. bigger Catholic well, truths. Well, I mean, the, the Bible itself is a multi-genre work. It isn't just a series of interconnected stories. It's everything from genealogy to, to history to laws to poetry to, to letters to it's not just one sort of straightforward. And anyone who's even remotely familiar with the Bible understands how just multi-layered and multi-genre it is. Absolutely. Robert yeah. Barron, Bishop Robert Barron's, you know, he sort of says when people ask him if he takes the Bible literally, he says, well, do you take the library literally? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's really not a book. It's a collection of books, but yeah, that, that notion that, that there's a kind of multiple senses of scripture. Oh, I think that's absolutely true and, and not dangerous at all to say in front of a priest. I, I think this this is really key. And, you know, I don't, I mean, I've heard that Craig Finn is a practicing Catholic. And so my assumption is that like, he's really kind of coming from a perspective of faith on some level in what he's writing. And so I've, I've kind of interpreted it him that way, but you could also sort of discuss this album just in terms of Catholic imagination, whether or not you were a believer, because I think there's like a certain mindset that just sort of comes out of being raised in the church that it's and sort of raised in Catholic culture that just kind of bleeds into here just with the things he's making his allusions to the fact that it's very symbolic and can be understood on, on many, many levels, you know, that, that just that notion that's, that comes from a a mindset that's been fed by the liturgy. I, I, I can't see like the way that he he's using one thing to mean four things at once, you know, Holly is herself and another way she's all of us. And another way, maybe she's humanity. It's this kind of multiple levels of symbols, I think is a very Catholic way of thinking. I'm not saying that there's not other ways of getting at that, but I do think it's, it's rather rich in Catholicism. You find the same thing in Springsteen and, and other Catholics who, you know, rock, rock songwriters who were raised Catholic, Paul Westerberg, Robert Smith, I think you can find it in these people as a kind of way of imagining and describing and a, and a lot of conflicts between light and darkness. 
Yeah, and and I mean, I think that's one of the appeals of the album for me. I'm I wasn't raised Catholic at all, but the idea that that there are openings, meaning what I mean by that is there are just multiple ways of reading the album to include it's just a, you know, <laughs> and there are people even on this podcast who think that we should just it's a collection of songs. Mm-hmm. Quit trying to connect. It. It's not a damn narrative. <laughs> And then there are people, schmucks like me, who go, oh, my God, not only is it narrative driven, it's mythiopic, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's an entire mythos being. And, you know, and I, I, I guess that's what I love about this. This is what first attracted to me to the Hold Steady. And you know, after a, a couple of, of listens to this album, it's like there's so many there's so many levels, man, yeah. uh, as Stoner friend would say, so many levels. You can read it, man. But, yeah, that, that's what I just love about this, too. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's great. I guess I heard about a resonal sin. I heard the dudes blame the chick. I heard the chick blame the snake. And I heard they were naked when they got busted. And I heard things ain't been the same since. It sounds like, to me, the the two things that are interesting about the Catholic tones and themes and sto- storylines or imagery are one the duality, which I think you've sort of talked, it sounds to me like that's less unique to Craig Finn than it maybe occurs at first. It sounds like that idea of the ability to go either way, that the switch is never totally turned on, that all of this is reversible, is imbued in Catholicism in and of itself as well. Yeah, it's a good, good way to phrase it. The other point is that the nature of these Bible stories is so imbued into our everyday lives, even today. And if I step back and look at this from a more anthropological sense or cultural anthropologist sense, where you could argue that our origin stories, whatever your religion, whatever your philosophy, they, there's a reason they came to be and they echo with what who we are now. But I find that really interesting. I wondered if that was in a way that, you know, I've read some of these quite Catholic authors, also some Latin American ones, et cetera. I don't, first of all, I can't remember Evelyn Waugh very well. I have to say, I I confuse him with Somerset mom. And so it's all like, (laughs) I get get it. And I like it. I think mom... Graham Greene is a little. They, they both have real working class Midwestern names, so <laughs> right, right. very easy to confuse them. <laughs> the upper there, yeah, north of north of I eighty, both of them. I'm Joe. Right. This is my kid, Somerset Mall. All right, <laughs> hey, Sammy, come here. Yeah, come here. Say something to the man. <laughs> I, I don't know how. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know if that stands out to you. Obviously, you're beyond being learned learned about the religious aspects and the theological aspects i mean you're also to even consider undergoing a like for example leonard cohen which you talked about i think either before we started or after we started leonard cohen to me when he brings religious imagery in of course he refracts it into our lives but it's still very much you're very in tune to the sense that this is somebody who's breaking out the Bible or breaking out that sort of feel. Mm -hmm. Whereas in Craig Finn, Mm. the white swan is also perhaps an allusion to somebody who is doing drugs in the bathroom or something. So there's uh, 
it's very much more immediate. And I just wonder if that's yeah. to you at all. That's no, that's, that's cool. And yeah. So uh, right here, here's another, like, just to kind of build on that. So if this is just like a cultural or, or if we want to bracket like the more kind of faith understanding and, and just sort of look at it, maybe I, a question I had, like when I was listening to this album early on, I, because I, I really didn't necessarily know exactly where the, where the author Craig Finn was coming from. You know, it's like, well, is this maybe just like somebody who's kind of raised in this culture, this Catholic culture, you know, is this just, this isn't really maybe a statement about whether or not this is true or it's, it's more just like they're interpreting the world through these particular categories. And so, yeah, the white swan may just be like, a, a leftover hippie, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm seeing her right now. She looks to me like, like the picture in the window at my church. And I'm the same kid who was, who was at that church on Sunday. And tonight I'm, I'm out partying. And so I'm just kind of applying these same kind of conceptual categories. And so I do, yeah, I don't know that I'm exactly responding to what your question was, but it maybe just kind of made me think of this as like, yeah, th- there's a kind of way in which you could appreciate even if you weren't coming from a, a faith perspective you you can kind of figure out like oh this is the culture that that this is kind of emerging from i definitely i mean when i get it when i hear the album i'm i'm just sort of like wow this guy really kind of gets like what it was like growing up in the rust belt or in the upper midwest <laughs> at this time and and sort of the catholic milieu in the world that that is it's more and more post-Catholic now, but I think at that time it was, it was even more heavily sort of Catholic than the way it was. That brings me to, I really wanted to ask you about the relationship between creativity and Catholicism. Craig Finn being a person who's on a, obviously a creative quest of some kind. You yourself being someone who was deep into creative projects before the preset. And, and now you continue to explore that territory in your sort of criticism and analysis and your, your, your academic work. So I think both have this sort of spiritual core to them, the creative life and the, and the Catholic life. And I wanted to hear from you how you think, you know, for you personally, and, and also through the whole study, how, how those two things intertwine and inform each other, creativity and Catholicism. Well, so my, I guess my, my instinctive response is, is that they the intersect a lot through beauty, through the concept of beauty and through the reality of beauty. So beauty is one of the three divine transcendentals. So in other words, like the attributes of God, like you have attributes. What are the other two, really quickly? Truth and goodness. Beauty, truth, and goodness. Okay. Yeah. So the three attributes of God are truth, beauty, and goodness. And I think in, in the Catholic world, there's always been a a deep appreciation for beauty and a celebration of it. There's also like always a little bit of that suspicion that goes back to it's like this might like like beauty that isn't re- like. Beauty can be the devil's greatest tool. Like if it, it, it could seduce you into the, the wrong with things, you know, but, but ultimately 
the, the, universe, the story of the universe is a comedy, not a tragedy. And, and so ultimately, we, we, beauty is a good guy, ultimately. And so we can ultimately, we can celebrate it. Ultimately, we can trust it. Ultimately, of course, anything in creation can be used, can become warped or broken or whatever. But we don't believe in the total depravity or the total destruction of the created world. So created beauty becomes, you can redeem it and, and use it to glorify God and bring people back to God. So Catholic churches have always like taken beauty really seriously and tend to be very ornate and lots of art and lots of, I mean, the Catholic church was the patron of the arts for centuries and centuries and centuries. And a lot of, you know, great artists have come out of that Catholic imagination, that Catholic world. I think that that appreciation for beauty ultimately should feed the creative process. And I think people who, who end up distrusting beauty too much, they can't stay Catholic. They, they, it, it doesn't work. Fascinating. Um, I, I, I love what you what you just said, Father. About you, what was the line you said about the the nature of of the universe is is comedic rather than tragic. Yeah, ultimately. Yeah, and that's that made me think. I've I'm, I've I've read a lot of Northrop Frye, who talks about how in his understanding of the arc of the biblical narrative that it is a comedy that that the nature of it is is comic despite the the sort of stentorian way we we read it or the 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 lessons that we you know the sort of like like almost punishing lessons we try to pull out of it as a way of of, of enforcing morality but but the you know the, the lessons that we all have to garner from yeah, it, oh, yeah. but it but it's eventually it's he he says and i agree that that the, the narrative arc is is comedic it's it's comic yeah. oh yeah that's great that's great absolutely and the narrative arc of this album is comedic Right. I mean, right. I mean, I mean, the ending is hilarious. Right. I mean, I mean, <laughs> Holly shows up. She's got glass in her hair. She's like, there's a mask going on. And and she's like, hold my beer, everybody. Right. Let me tell you, right. Let me tell right. you right. about salvation. And right. uh, it's it's amazing. It's very funny. It's, very it's a punchline. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, a punch it's line. actually the album has a punchline. Right. Yeah. I don't know what the punchline to the Bible is, but I'll keep I'll keep keep no, looking. That, well, the book of Revelation is kind of a punchline. Um, it is. I mean, it ends it ends with a marriage. Right. And and all the Shakespearean comedies end with marriages and in marriages. That's absolutely right. Right. Yeah. So right. that's kind of what you're seeing in the yeah. Bible, too. If it's a tragedy, right. it ends in death. Right. If it's comedy, it ends in a marriage. We don't have and, a and, marriage, and and, and 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 assumed from that marriage is a new society growing yeah. out of the old that was corrupt, right? right. Yeah, yeah, right. A new rebirth, right? Yep. You were going to say we don't have a marriage in Separation no, Sunday. No, I don't think so, unless I'm missing something. But, um, good try, Craig. Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> the priest does just kind of laugh in the yeah. as Holly yeah. emerges. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> <laughs> yeah and the deacon caught a draft <laughs> oh i i could chime in on two more debates if you don't mind very quickly i know we're running out of time yeah yeah oh, we're, we're running out of time but we would love to hear them okay so one you talked last week about or at least last week when i heard it about uh the penultimate track uh crucifixion cruise is it a poem or is it a song and mm -hmm. i with my vote is that it's a psalm, a P S A L M. Um, right. 
because that's a Solomonic Solomonic approach right there. Psalms are sung prayers, and and it is a prayer. That song is a prayer, and there's another prayer on the album too. But that is the that is the most explicit prayer on the album, I think. Um, I, I, other- I, I, have to, I have to interject before you, before you move on. J- John Mulaney has a whole bit on his latest album about singing in in, in Catholic churches and like a friend. Yeah. So what are you going to sing a song? Say, oh yeah, it's it's a psalm. It's a psalm. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's. I, oh, I can't do just that. It's, yeah, it's, really oh, funny. it's brilliant. It's hilarious. Yeah. But go yeah. ahead with your second. Your, your second. So the one other there. one is is uh, when Saint Teresa shows up, and we've connected her a lot to Saint Teresa of Avila who is the in the Bernini statue. But the other person you could connect her to is is perhaps Therese of Lisieux. And when people in Therese is the French, but when Americans name their kids Teresa, it often is for Therese of Lisieux, the little flower. And Therese's big famous quote is all is grace. And that's the subtext as well of Brideshead Revisited, which is that even in these dark places, it's actually in our kind of confrontation with sin and and failure that we discover our need for God. So everything is grace, everything. And so when Teresa pops up at the end, I think, you know, maybe it's, it's an also a nod to Therese of Lisieux kind of telling us that all this crazy stuff that just happened, Holly's coming back, but she's, she's coming back different. She's coming back. Mm -hmm. She knows she needs God now in a different way. So that's my take. And that was a wonderful take at what it is. I think that's a great point to end this episode on. Everything is grace. Thank you, Father Rapp, for joining us. We really, we really appreciate it. You guys have a great podcast. And I thank you for inviting me to just throw out my crazy ideas. So appreciate uh, it. They weren't crazy at all. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, I've, those of you listening at home, both Mike and I at one point in time were like making the mind blown gesture on, on our Zoom screens because that's exactly what happened in this episode. So thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Father Christian. A great time. We'll see you for our next episode after this, I think. Well, I think we have another. We'll have yeah, another no, we, bonus we, episode. We have, we, we, that's right. We have a, a, another, at least one more bonus episode planned. So we're looking forward to joining you then. Thanks again, everyone. Thank you for listening to A Positive Jam. This season has been a blast, and we have one final bonus episode coming your way next week, if all goes to plan. Get in touch with us at mail at shortmanstudios.com or on Twitter at, at shortmanstudios, at mbrookstaylor, at Sean Westfall, or at Daniel Shortman. We are open to ideas, suggests, requests, proposals for the next season of A Positive Jam because we're not yet sure where we'll go with it. In the meantime, thank you for your support. Stay positive, and we'll see you next week. She was limping left on broken heels, and she said, Father, can I tell your congregation how a rest